0: I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The readback. It's become a kind of fun and maybe not so safe game in my family. We're driving down the highway at 60 miles an hour and my kids will yell out from the back seat, take your hands off the wheel, take your hands off the wheel. To be fair, they're not entirely crazy, my kids. They wanna show off the snazzy technology in our Honda Pilot, which despite being six years old, came with an early version of self-driving technology the so-called lane keeping assist mode, where the car senses lane markers and steers itself to stay centered in the lane. If you listened to our episode last week, you'll remember that lane keeping isn't particularly popular, mostly because it doesn't work all that well. And sure enough, in my pilot, after a few seconds of self-driving, the car has an immediate identity crisis. It starts buzzing and tells me to put my hands back on the wheel. So for all that yelling from the back seat, my kids only get about three seconds of fun. I share this story because it speaks to our everlasting desire to push technology to its limits. If you get a shiny new toy, everyone wants to see how it works. And not surprisingly, this happens across the self-driving landscape. YouTube is full of videos pushing current autonomous technology to its limits, finding ways to beat the system even when it's not advisable.
1: Today, I'm gonna to see if we can trick Tesla's autopilot. Tesla's autopilot, when it's engaged, you actually have to keep your hand on the wheel. So I'm gonna see if there's a way to trick the autopilot to thinking that I've got my hand on the wheel. First,
0: let's go. On I-90 near Boston, alarming video that state police say shows extremely dangerous behavior. A man and woman both apparently asleep in the front seat, as their Tesla seems to keep driving, presumably in autopilot mode. What's strange about all this is that the car manufacturers are basically letting it happen, which is surprising for an industry that talks a lot about safety. But in a vacuum of self-driving regulations, Drivers are pushing these features further and further. Last summer, Car and Driver, the well-known car magazine, decided to find out just how far someone could go.
1: We see that people are misusing these systems a little bit. Like, what happens if you try to misuse it a lot?
0: That's Car and Driver Testing Director Dave Vanderwerp, who we spoke with last episode. The Car and Driver team created a controlled test to push 17 different cars to their self-driving limits. So wait, let me just get this straight. So you're running these tests, you're in the driver's seat, you activate the self-driving features, you get out of the driver's seat. You're now sitting, you're now sitting where? Well,
1: for this one, I was in the passenger seat.
0: It's important to note that unlike the YouTube test pilots, Vanderwerp and his colleagues were doing all of this on a closed race course. For each test, car and driver enabled adaptive cruise control and lane centering. These are those basic self-driving features that will keep the car going on a highway while slowing for traffic and steering to keep the car in its lane. It's essentially autopilot for a car.
1: We took these cars and we did a bunch of different things, kind of escalating in our misuse, if you will.
0: For the first test, Dave unbuckled the driver's side seatbelt to see how the car would respond. And the majority didn't respond at all. Just seven of the 17 cars shut down their driver assist features. And only three, Cadillac and both Tesla models Dave tested, break to a stop. Think about that. The seatbelt is an easy way to know whether the driver has changed his position in the car. It's not perfect, but it's hard to imagine why a self-driving car would keep going if the driver's seatbelt gets removed. But wait, there's more. With the car still moving on its own, Dave did a second test. This time, it went far beyond the seatbelt.
1: We had lane centering functionality active and then deliberately took our hands off the wheel just to see how long it takes before you get the first warning, how long before you get subsequent warnings, and how long it takes before the system actually says, okay, the driver's not paying attention, we're going to shut this system down.
0: The results were all over the place.
1: There's huge differences car to car. You know, some shut you down in 20, 30 seconds or even less, and, you know, some go a minute and a half or so. And a minute and a half at highway speeds, you're covering a lot of ground with somebody that's not paying attention.
0: One vehicle kept going for 91 seconds in the car and driver test. That was enough to cover a mile and a half without any input from the human driver. A lot can go wrong in a mile and a half. That's not to say some car makers aren't thinking about these situations. A few of the cars did have systems to prevent basic misuse, so car and driver set out to go further. For the next two tests, Dave brought a literal bag of tricks into the vehicles to see how they would respond. How quickly would the safety features kick in?
1: There's a couple different ways that the vehicles try to determine whether the driver is paying attention or not. And the most common one is simply to use a torque-based sensor on the steering wheel.
0: Basically the car is sensing whether the driver is holding the steering wheel. And if not, then it eventually sends a warning.
1: As you may have seen, and you know, this is all over owners' forums and the like, if you hang a weight or stick a water bottle into your steering wheel spoke, it registers that as oh, the person's paying attention because there's a force being exerted on the steering wheel. And so we're happy. So I hung a little ankle weight on each steering wheel, and for the majority of the cars, you can drive as long as you can, you know, even at the conservative automakers that say like, well, we never say our car is full self-driving or anything like that, you know, but here you have a system that's pretty easily to be tricked.
0: While BMW and Mercedes were the hardest to trick, ultimately, Dave was able to fail every car. It just took some creative measures.
1: There were two vehicles both German luxury vehicles that instead used a capacitive touch type sensor on the steering wheel. And that one, we really couldn't find a way to fool. We tried, you know, putting tape around the steering wheel or a zip tie around it or other things. And it it seems like it's always looking for a change in touch, right? So like a initial touch of a piece of tape or something would register, but then if it didn't move or change, it quickly sniffs that out. A couple
0: were harder to trick a few cars have cameras inside that actually scan for whether a driver is paying attention.
1: There's also, in the case of Cadillac's Super Cruise, a driver monitoring camera. And so it is looking for the driver's eyes to be oriented in such a way that it presumes you're looking out over the hood and watching what's going on in front of you.
0: But even those systems prove fallible, and most cars don't have them. And then the big one, the fourth and final test. The idea was to find out how these cars would respond if the driver literally left the driver's seat. For this last test, car and driver kept the same conditions in place. Adaptive cruise control and lane centering were activated, with a weight still hanging from the steering wheel to simulate the driver's touch.
1: Kind of the culmination of everything was to turn the system on and then jump out of the driver's seat. If it sounds like a circus act, it kind of was.
0: But it also held an important lesson on just how little the car makers are actually thinking about worst-case scenarios. Think about the machines we use in everyday life, from kitchen blenders to lawnmowers to treadmills. They're filled with backup systems and redundancies to protect against unlikely but dangerous outcomes. But not the self-driving features you get in a car today. They kept going, even when Dave left the driver's seat.
1: Every car did it. It's pretty shocking that there aren't controls in place, and there could be, right? Like there is a sensor that's in the passenger seat of every new car sold in the U.S. today to make sure that they don't turn on airbags when small children are in the front seat. But in the driver's seat, there is no such sensor. And so none of the cars knew basically that we had left the driver's seat.
0: Let that sink in. These cars are now basically driving themselves and they have no sense whether anyone is behind the wheel. What, what, what did that feel? I mean, I, I was that freaky? Or you must've had some trust in the system to even be willing to do that much.
1: Well, again, we were on a closed course all by ourselves. So there was no other traffic to contend with. Obviously it would be a monumentally dumb thing to try out on the road, but it was kind of like, what is possible? But yes, it's very terrifying. In fact, we had rigged up a, was actually a retired hockey stick with a bracket that we attached to the brake pedal so that at any time I could reach over and, you know, hit the brakes anytime.
0: For all these tests, it's true you had to trick the system. But the problem is enough people are interested in pushing those limits. And now they're trying dangerous things on real roads.
1: I sort of went into it expecting that Tesla might be an outlier in terms of what it allows its customers to do, and of course there've been other stories about there's a guy in the San Francisco area that was arrested for Riding around the back seat of his Tesla. He was arrested for riding in the back seat of a Tesla with no one in the driver's seat. And tonight he's promising he's not going to change his ways. And continues to do so after he was arrested. And, you know, there's no shortage of fools out there. Right. Which is why I think that getting these things right is so difficult because there's so many opportunities to misuse them.
0: And right now, there's not much incentive for change. As we've said before, the federal government has taken a hands-off approach around all this. While that's partly because the government worries about squelching innovation, the reality is that it might be hindering it. If no regulation means lack safety standards for self-driving cars, consumers are going to be hesitant to get inside.
1: I think regulation should definitely play a role. And, you know, frankly, there's kind of two groups of consumers that need to get on board with these, right? There's the people that are using them in their car, and then there's the people that are pedestrians or in other cars that are potentially on the receiving end of what these systems might do. And both of them should be made comfortable, I think, and I think regulation can, can help there. And, you know, when it comes to things like we've talked about, like, The fact that cars don't have a weight sensor in the driver's seat that could potentially detect somebody trying to misuse the system by getting out of the driver's seat, it tends to be regulation that makes that stuff happen. Automakers are so cost-conscious that, you know, this is just a recurring theme in this industry that it often takes regulation to make things like that happen.
0: The idea of a seat sensor isn't unprecedented. There's one in the passenger seat of every car to detect whether a passenger is big enough for the airbag to safely deploy. So why did car makers add that sensor? Because the federal government required it. But left to their own devices, car makers are worried about expenses, and more sensors means more cost. While we're waiting for regulators to catch up, companies are moving full steam ahead, and consumers are pushing the envelope on the roads we use together. At this point, would you have run that test on public roads?
1: No, no way. I mean, not, not, not with getting out of the seat and stuff. It's just way too dangerous.
0: The dangers go beyond our roads. So far in the podcast, we've talked mostly about technology. But self-driving cars could change everything about our lives. Jobs and industries could be erased. Cities could be permanently changed. So the question is, should we be doing this at all? Next time on The Readback. Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadbackatbarrons.com. Thanks to Dave Vanderwerp. You can check out his self-driving test in the September issue of Car and Driver, as well as on caranddriver.com, where there's also cool video of the full experiment. For more coverage on self-driving, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Additional thanks to Meadowlitzhoff and Jackson Cantrell. Next week on the show, self-driving cars could change everything. And some say we'll come to regret it. To believe that cars, whether they are electric or autonomous, is
1: going to solve our problems, you know, is investing in failure. We'll be back next week.